Dayton history not many people know about. I'm going to tell you right now. Here we are again live from Philadelphia, 8.60 a.m. WWDB Radio, overlooking the beautiful Philadelphia skyline, even though it is a little cold out there. Why is this date so important? What happened that made it a date to remember? Well, a few things, but there's a little bit I want to share with you. And before I tell you that story, there's something even more amazing about this date today. The third of three significant dates for this brand new radio show. It's really amazing to me. A sign, I think, of the momentum that we're building here. January 4th was my birthday, and I got the call about the radio show. January 15th, we had our debut show, which was my brother's birthday, who's here with me today, who encouraged me to write the book we're going to talk about. And then today, the third show is January 29th. January 29th, 1991, 33 years ago, was the day this story began. 33 years ago, I was just 20 years old. Young Marine deployed with Alpha Battery, 1st Battalion, 12th Marines. You probably heard me talk about the big guns. What do we mean when we say big guns? There's lots of big guns. You know what my favorite was? The Mark 19 automatic grenade launcher. That was a big gun. That thing would fire like a grenade a second. It was just something about sitting behind it. And it just had this... This, it wasn't a very loud weapon. It's interesting. It's just kind of lobbing these, and then you just watch the horizon on fire in the meantime. But that's not the big guns I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the kings of battle, the 155-millimeter howitzers. And just to give you an idea, the average projectile that comes out of the end of that cannon weighs about 100 pounds. And there's a variety of different explosives and fuses and gunpowder that can be combined together, combined together with all that to make it extremely lethal. A typical artillery cannon has a range up to 30 miles with a rocket-assisted uh, rocket projectile, it's called. The kings of battle. Well, it didn't feel that way 33 years ago on this day. 20 years old, we certainly didn't feel like the kings of battle. I'll tell you why, because up until that point, we had been getting our butts kicked just about every night. The Iraqis had moved a huge amount of assets down to the border, uh, which included a lot of long-range Soviet artillery, and they were shelling us with that every night. We're taking incoming, sitting there like uh, sitting rabbits, so to speak, sitting ducks. But th that's not what was going on on January 29th. Here we are. It's a little after 1600. We got about another four hours. As of 1600, I don't really remember the day at all. I don't remember it at all. Everything was quiet. That's what I remember. I don't even remember anything about my birthday that was just a few weeks prior. I don't remember any of those details. But I remember very clearly what happened on that night. I'll never forget it. We were set up in a fire base just a few miles off the coast of the Persian Gulf, about 12 miles from the Kuwait-Saudi border. There was oil well fires burning. The sky was black, thick black. There was a stench in the air, lots of airstrikes going on in Iraqi assets. It was relatively quiet on this night. We now know why, because Iraq had devised a plan to attack in our sector. Dead on, really. It was going to be a direct hit. It was a strategic move, a Hail Mary, really. They sent three Iraqi divisions down into the city of Kafji. 
When that happened, I was out on guard post. All I saw was a massive, massive convoy coming our way. The sky turned red, fire and brimstone like you've never seen. It really seemed to be the gates of hell had opened up. And then the, the unthinkable happened. The Saudi army we were there to support turned and ran. In epic fashion, no less, they deserted us. And they left two Marine teams trapped inside the city in the process. I later learned about two army trucks that also got trapped inside the city. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more. Well, what do we do? We're outgunned. We're outmanned. We just got deserted by the, the unit we were there to support. What do we do? Well, we, we moved and got up closer to the city. Turn and, and running would have been the logical choice, but we weren't going to do that. I'm going to tell you what happened. We got attacked. The unit that we were there to support turned and ran and left us stranded. I'm going to tell you the rest of that story when we come back after the break. January 29th, the story of the Battle of Kafchi, an attack launched at 2000 hours on January 29th, 1991. That is the story of my new book, Victory Over Chaos. You can check it out at projectchaos.org. It's a real honor to be here today on this special day and telling this story. Welcome to Project Chaos, the radio show that brings you the mindset and perspective of our nation's warriors. I'm your host, Chris Kunkel. United States Marine Corps veteran and the author of my newest book, Victory Over Chaos, which tells the true story behind the United States Marines' battle for Kafchi. This story, it's not about history or entertaining stories. It's about legacy. We're here to share the true stories of our conflicts and triumphs, to set an example that our country deeply needs right now. We're at a new low in a crisis of leadership and a moral crisis. Veterans know how to rise above that, and these stories will inspire you to do the same. This is Project Chaos, a radio show like no other. It's a real journey getting to this point, been a real journey getting to this point. Listening to talk radio, this very station when I was just 10 years old, been my lifelong dream to be behind this microphone. In the past six years, I produced over 1,600 podcasts and counting, published three books with the newest one being number four. I say all this to tell you this. I have one simple goal. As I'm honored to speak about the Marine Corps, our military, and our country, and to do it from the studios at WWDB, my goal is simply to provide the best possible radio show with the highest integrity. I don't care about the biggest or the highest paid. Since I was 17 years old and took my oath to join the Marine Corps, I only ever strive to be the best I can. If you like what you hear, please be sure to visit projectchaos.org. Many great people have stepped up to serve and fight in our country over the past 250 years. Ordinary people in many cases, but ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And their commitment to our way of life, to serving our country, to defending our country. Soldiers, airmen, sailors, and Marines. There's a long legacy in this country of our military doing great things, and it continues every day. I want to tell you a story about a person who fits into that mold. An orphan at a young age, he went on to become a congressman and then left Congress to lead soldiers in battle. His name is William Barksdale. He was a Civil War general with quite a reputation. I can't speak to his character overall, not much written about it. Some of the gaps are a little telling. Why do I say this about his character? Well, I think it's an important issue to discuss. I'm no bootlicker. I like to say that. I don't, I don't bow down to anybody, any man. I'm skeptical of everything. It's just how I think. And for me, personally, anybody who's going to lead, I think that if you're going to do that, you need to be able to stand up to any scrutiny that's going to come your way. And if you're going to be a leader, 
You need to be able to stand up for yourself. These are all important things, right? To be able to defend our position and especially our military and political leaders. We have every duty to question them. So, you know, when I, when I read these things or I see about people, I'm always questioning myself. Why, why do I bring all this up? It's not who he was that I have anything to offer about, but some of the things that he did. That's what I want to focus on. How he conducted himself mainly, especially under difficult circumstances. He was a leader. He was a politician. And he literally challenged other representatives to fist fights in Congress. And then turned around and led men into battle at Gettysburg during the Civil War. Got shot, got hit by a cannonball and killed. Well, why would anybody care about General William Barksdale from Tennessee, died over 150 years ago. Why would anybody even care? Well, because that's the last time we had any real leadership in Congress, as best I can tell. Maybe I'm wrong about that. When I talk about the leadership, that's the kind of leadership that we need now, not rainbows and unicorns. This country needs men that can stand up and fight. I know I'm getting a little worked up in all this. I'm not advocating for for physical violence. All I'm suggesting is that we never back down. All I'm suggesting is that we never waver on our principles. And if it's going to mean acquiescing or fighting, I say we fight. I think the words and actions of General Barksdale are a real inspiration to all of us. A lot to talk about with that story. I'll give you the details coming up. It's a great war story. Uh, This story was shared to me by American Education Defenders. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that later as well. Last week when we were on, we discussed the Marine who was charged for killing a man on the New York City subway I'm sure you've seen the story with this. His name is Daniel Perry. He was protecting people on the subway, and now he's being charged with a crime. Lots to discuss on that. A very important situation to pay attention to. And by the way, Daniel Perry had no gun, yet he's being charged for the crime of defending himself. And that's what I want to talk about. On a different note, I have to say, it's really incredible, the early momentum for the show, all the people that have reached out, the emails, the phone calls. I want to share this little story I got a call from uh, Andy Teitelman the other day. He's the co-host on the Don't Back Down show. Uh, they air Wednesdays at 1 o'clock. And uh, Andy was talking to me. He said, what a rush it is to do the radio show. And it really is. Meeting people that listen, hearing from people, hearing the way that the show's uh, inspired them. And it really is great to be here indeed. So thanks for joining us. Have you ever heard um, The Man in the Arena by Theodore Roosevelt? Anybody heard that? It's been around a few times. You know, pretty well known, I think. Here's what Theodore Roosevelt said about the man in the arena. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again. Because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms and great devotions? Who spends himself in a worthy cause? Who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement? And who at the worst if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly? So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never knew victory or defeat. What does all that mean? Well, to me, it means respect for people who have done stuff. Respect for people who have tried. And that's why I like to use this example of Williams Barksdale to point that out. I can't speak to his, 
character, like I said. I can only speak to how he conducted himself, especially diff- during difficult circumstances. The times when it mattered most, how did he conduct himself? When things were at their hardest, how did he conduct himself? When there was a lot at stake, when things were going wrong, when he made mistakes, how did he hold up? All things that point to the leadership that we desperately need. I want to just read to you a couple of things from his biography. I thought it was very interesting. Barksdale's speeches and interactions, including an infamous brawl on the House floor, highlight this turbulent period preceding secession. He displayed an aggressive spirit and was utterly fearless in any situation. I can tell you that's not true, by the way. He seemed utterly fearless. He was not utterly fearless. However, Barksdale had his flaws, a fiery temper and a sensitivity to personal insult, real or perceived, resulted in confrontation. I'm not sure I would have liked this guy very much. Sounds like he gets a little uh, worked up too easily. Aggressively and utterly fearless, his fiery temper and sensitivity to personal insert resulted in several fisticuffs and three near duels, gaining him a reputation as a brawler and a knife fighter. Despite his arrest for intoxication and abuse of his men while colonel of the 13th Mississippi, Barksdale survived a court of inquiry, regained the loyalty and respect of his men, and became one of the most beloved commanders in the Army of Northern Virginia. There's soldiers' diaries that attest to all that. It's quite a story. I can't really remember. I may have known about a few drunken incidents of active-duty Marines, too. I can't really remember those details right now. Old Barksdale put a little too many down, went back to the barracks, I guess, and got out of hand. It didn't end well. Anyway, he was, he was quite a character in the military and Congress. But there's something else to this story that I wanted to point out. Barksdale, and I always like to see where do people come from, right? Because I hear a lot of times where maybe a great general comes from a wealthy family and the perfect school, and then you almost get the feeling that it was preordained. You know what I'm saying? You don't really see much evidence of that going on in the Marine Corps, but it does go on in other places. And so I always like to look when we read these stories, you know, who, who was this person really? Well, what I found in Barksdale is that he's orphaned at age 13. Nevertheless, became a successful lawyer and a newspaper editor, all before his 25th birthday. Despite no formal military training, through dedication, perseverance, and a God-given aptitude for self-learning, he became one of the most effective political generals of the Civil War. It's crazy. It's crazy what's going on. This story of Barksdale's family, going back even before he was orphaned, by the way, is even more phenomenal. As I remember the story from the biography, the, the grandfather or the great-grandfather, so this was maybe a generation or two above General Barksdale, they decided to relocate somewhere from the east, more eastern coast, and they were going to Tennessee. And they're going to pick up and move the family out there. And I'm reading this story. It's unbelievable. How would you do this? You're going to pick up and go from Philadelphia to Tennessee. What would you do? Well, you're going to call you all. You're going to call a mover. You're going to sell your house, whatever you're going to do. Well, back then there was no roads. All they had was, you know, covered wagons, a couple of farm animals and some tools. No maps, really. And so they go out, they take off, they pick the family up. They navigate through the wilderness on like these old Indian trails. They get to Tennessee and they had to clear fields, you know, before they could settle down to get them ready for the spring harvest. They had to build a house before winter. This is the kind of tenacity that I want to point out to you. People that, the dirt people, 
I remember one of our drill instructors saying, well, the, you know, the Marines belong with their faces in the dirt. That's where we belong. I never really understood it. But I read a story like this, and I understand what it means, that we do need our faces in the dirt. It's good for you. It's good to get dirty. It's good to work the land. It's good to work with your hands. Now, I'll tell you, Barksdale did inherit a little money, but it wasn't much, and he was left on his own as a, at a very young age. I'll tell you what struck me most about this whole story with Barksdale and the fact that he had to figure it out. The whole, the whole story, figure it out, make it happen. I don't know if I'm really delivering that in the best sense, but it's so important. I tell you, my father, I remember, taught it to me at an early age. I would get frustrated. He would say to me, figure it out. How many parents are doing that today? We're pushing our children. Figure it out on your own. It is grand when a child develops that. So, you know what? I, I can figure it out. Imagine today. What am I going to do? I'm going to go to Tennessee. There's no roads. There's no nothing. I have nothing. What do I do? Barksdale didn't have that problem. Many others. There's a lawyer, a businessman who get involved in these newspapers, which would be key later on. He had some uh, military experience probably pr- uh, prior to going into Congress. And it was really striking. He was involved in the war with Mexico, which is a whole interesting line we could discuss in another show. But there really wasn't properly funding. But Barksdale was able to successfully argue to get uh, funding not only for rifles. Can you imagine this? Like the commander has to go argue for funding for the rifles. But he also got knives for his Confederate soldiers. And, you know, it's amazing to think that a lot of the fighting then was being done with knives. How barbaric. People don't understand how grueling those times were. This was before the Civil War even. Conditions um, like this with the war with Mexico are absolutely horrific, like many conflicts in early times. Living conditions, horrible. Many times they weren't, didn't have proper gear, weren't properly dressed. What was the result of that? They're dealing with disease as well. There was something called war fever. I never heard that time before until I read uh, Barksdale's biography. War fever. Something about Barksdale's character was that he took responsibility for his actions. At one point, his unit was in Mexico, surrounded and outnumbered. And indications were that they'd be slaughtered by the Mexican army. Barksdale, for his part, moved right up to the front line, saying that he didn't want to miss the victory. Can you imagine that? His unit's surrounded, about to get pummeled, and he moves up closer. Well, as it turns out, it wasn't the Mexican army at all. It was a herd of wild horses kicking up dust. But he served in the military, got out, owned a newspaper, got elected to Congress. And believe it or not, he wanted to avoid war. And he was pro-slavery, which is a problem in the, in the lines of history for sure. But he became a general in the Civil War. And for his beliefs, for his position, he was labeled as a radical. And that's where he got this term, fire eater. This was, I guess, a dirty word back then. Fire eater. And it was, a, it was a way of silencing people, much like we see today in these radicals. You know, whatever different terms we hear the media use to try and silence people. This was a term used in the 1850s that people didn't go along with the popular political agenda. Like maybe they would say about MAGA today. Back then they were called fire eater. Well, people didn't take that down sitting. See, he didn't take that sitting down either. And people ought to pay, pay attention to this. He became a general in the Civil War, and he might as well be one of the ones uh, helping Texas right now. Well, he went on to fight at Gettysburg, and it was incredible what he did there. Absolutely incredible. The most magnificent charge of the war. He lay there mortally wounded. He got hit. I told you this earlier. And he had to be taken to a, they called it. It's amazing how, how military history gets uh, put out there. 
They say it was at a Union hospital, field hospital. It was a farmhouse. It still exists. Well, Anthony's out there as he's dying. You know what he said? His last words were, tell them I led my men fearlessly in the fight. And he died. He'd been shot, had a sucking chest wound, and he was uh, died from that shot. What a horrific way to die. Amazing guy. Basically, if he did not continue to lead that charge, the men would have stopped. As it is, they won the battle. A website called American Education Defenders. And what they do is they primarily offer products for homeschooling. But I'm telling you, the work of Paul Hemphill in telling incredible stories that are inspiring young people is just amazing. Here's what it says on their website. It says, to harness the power of true stories from a famous event in America's past to inspire and empower today's teens. Our unique approach not only immerses them in the past, but also instills a deep belief in themselves and their country. Compelling narratives demonstrate such values as determination, self-reliance, empathy, resilience, and generosity, all displayed by individuals you've never heard of. Witnessing the triumphs and challenges of those who came before us, young minds are able to believe in their own abilities, which they can activate now, not 20 years from now. Our service fosters a sense of patriotism and unity, reminding teams of the shared values and enduring spirit that have defined our nation. By connecting the past with a child's personal disposition, with our videos, we empower our youth to be confident in themselves and to contribute positively to our country's future. Join us on this inspirational journey and help our teens believe in themselves, their community, and their country like never before. After being exposed to the information on this website, it'll be easy to tell your child. Now it's a whole lot easier to believe what you're capable of. At the moment, our culture is living with a problem that directly affects our young people. That problem is that when young children aren't given the space to struggle through things on their own, they don't learn to problem solve very well. They don't learn to be confident in their own abilities, and it can affect their self-esteem. The other problem with never having to struggle is that you never experience failure and can develop an overwhelming fear of failure and of disappointing others. But the low confidence and the fear of failure can lead to depression, anxiety, or self-doubt. I'll tell you, this material that they're presenting and putting out for children is not just for kids. It's great information. Check out what they're doing at AmericanEducationDefenders.com. These stories, some of the stories are of uh, Confederate soldiers, and for that reason, this work is not accessible to the public schools and libraries in the way that they're presented here. And all this encourages me very much, and I very much support what the American Education Defenders are doing. It's exactly what we're doing with Project Chaos. Check out AmericanEducationDefenders.com, AmericanEducationDefenders.com. probably already know this, but many veterans have a service mindset and many commit their time to helping their fellow veterans. And one of those is my brother, Ron Sodko. He has an organization called Top of Illinois Veterans. They host a yearly event that provides pretty much anything a veteran might need, including feeding them for the day. 
It's an amazing event. They bring together all these different agencies, all these different resources, and they make sure that their fellow brothers have everything that they need. And sisters, they provide clothing, help with the VA benefits, counseling, employment services, housing resources, and guess what else? Even a nice fresh haircut. How great is that? This is huge. Ron goes out there, and for those veterans, to be greeted by another veteran is a really big deal, I'm telling you. And that's not taking anything away from all the volunteers who selflessly, selflessly help with this. It's a great organization all around. The organization is Top of Illinois Veterans. They take donations at P.O. Box 477, Cherryvale, Illinois, 61016. That's Top of Illinois Veterans, P.O. Box 477, Cherryvale, Illinois, 61016. My brother Ron, he puts a lot into this. You know why? Because he cares. But he needs help. He can't do it alone. I'll tell you my personal perspective. Uh, those are the veterans that are of us that are a little older and have a little extra money that we need to do our part to support our own. Top of Illinois Veterans at P.O. Box 477. Cherryvale, Illinois, 61016. This is my brother, Ron. This isn't somebody I met by email. I stood in formation with Ron. He's as solid as he gets. Help him out. The links are in the show notes as well. January 29th, 1991, 33 years ago. Iraqi mechanized tanks and armored personnel carriers made a fake surrender. When they did, instead, they attacked the Saudi city of Kafji. I was a young Marine on guard duty. I'm going to say guard duty outpost. It was really a hole in the ground, something we became experts at. Digging foxholes, digging fighting holes. All of a sudden, the quiet night turned into Armageddon. At that point, we were about 12 miles away from the city. After the dust settled a little bit and we realized that there were two Marine teams inside the city, we moved up closer, a lot closer. I said, I think in the first show that we were eight miles out, I learned since then it was actually four miles outside of the city. That's a, within tank range, within their, their artillery range, certainly, even with, within some other uh, weapon systems. There's a couple of new details about this story that I... I learned had occurred that I didn't know at the time I wrote, wrote the book. One of those details is that there were two army trucks that made the mistake of driving into the city. All this time ago that this happened, all the stories that I've read about Kafji, I never read about this. This story was kept very quiet. If I hadn't seen the official report, I might not have believed it myself. While all this was going on, two army trucks got lost, some logistics unit. And the army moves around a little bit different than the Marine Corps They'll have these logistical convoys. The Marine Corps will, too. We just move them around a little bit different, meaning that these uh, Army trucks did not have security. We would never travel without security, and this is a reason why. Well, they end up going inside the city of Kafji by mistake. And you got to understand, this was not a time when we had iPhones, you know? It wasn't like we got a text message, oh, stay out of Kafji. They drive into this city in this little two-vehicle convoy, when they drove into the city, what happened? Well, the first truck got hit hard by the Iraqis. They opened up on that truck. The truck went down, and that army team became trapped in the city. Do you know what the truck behind them did? That truck turned around and ran. 
the way it's reported in the, in the report that I ran, that they never saw a U-turn so fast. All this is very important where I'm going here, an important part of the story you're going to hear me say over and over again. Everybody who was there on that ground that day turned around and ran. The Saudi army, the Egyptians, Qatar, they all left. The army unit gets stepped in there. They see how bad it is. Oh, my God, they turn and run. So they go down. They go down and they go down to the Marine recon units that are outside of the city. And they say, listen, we got Marines and an army unit trapped inside the city. Who will volunteer to go? Guess what? Every single person, 128 Marines, said, I'll go. They took 40 guys down and they went and got those army soldiers out of there. I just say that to point to the tenacity. Never once, so many stories I'm going to share with you, we would get hit. We would get hit. I told this story last week. We get gassed. I'm thinking, when are we going to decontaminate? Not right now. Here's the kicker. You ready? I know you want this part of the story. We lit them up, man. That, that big gun I was telling you about, with the uh, nasty cannonballs coming out, they're not like the cannonballs of the Revolutionary War. But we jammed that 155-millimeter already right down their little baby throats. True story. Then we were the kings of battle. That's how that works. You don't get bragging rights, bragging rights unless you earn them. They don't come cheap either. There's another part of the story that I recently learned. We never had permission from the Saudi government to fire on their city. Unbelievable, really, that we're over there launching artillery and never had permission from the Saudi government to do that. As you might imagine, I guess they got a little upset about that. I'll get into those in a future uh, radio show where I tell you about the communication that went back. I never knew. I never knew. But it didn't matter. You know why? Because like many conflicts before, the Marine commanders, they weren't asking for permission. They weren't asking at all. As long as there were still Marines in that city, there was no way we were going to do anything but go inside the city. That's the difference between tenacity and dead. But the lack of permission, it's interesting. No hesitation in acting when needed. None. Zero. That's the discipline. Some people will say that they think that Marines are brainwashed when they see this go on. You, think, you watch these, and you watch everybody in unison doing the same things, and it's a little eerie. It really is. It's, it's strange to an outside observer, but that's what's happening. Something needs to be dealt with. We're going to go deal with it now. That's our primary purpose. It's not brainwashing because Marines have been so psychologically conditioned to act when needed, not to sit back and ask questions or second guess themselves. I bring all that up for a very important reason. That reason is this. Last week, we spoke briefly about the Marine from New York City, Daniel Penny. I want to circle back on that important story because what's going on with Daniel Penny should be important to every one of us. And I understand that for just about everybody that witnessing somebody's life being taken is difficult to watch under any circumstances. And I want to make this important point. I don't relish or enjoy anybody dying. Nobody does. I've said this before. The Marines have never started a war. Daniel Penny, he didn't start that fight. The gentleman who was killed by Daniel Penny, probably uh, mentally ill, And it's truly sad that the guy died. Nobody's taking anything away from that. 
But the question is, did Daniel Penny commit a crime in doing what he did? The Marine veteran, the corporal, Daniel Penny got on a subway that day like every other rider. All he wanted to do was get to where he wanted to get going. What he witnessed was a deranged man attacking people. And then Daniel Penny made a conscious decision to take action. He approached the man, he put him in a chokehold, and he took him to the ground. Now he's being charged. Many people have supported him. They feel he's innocent. Other people, not so much. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office apparently made statements that because of Daniel Penny's Marine training, he should have known the consequence of that chokehold should be death. I can't tell you how much I would like to talk to this district attorney, but not in a a legal office, you know what I'm saying? So this is really something from an issue of fairness, isn't it? Daniel Penny, otherwise minding his own business, he sees people getting assaulted, and he decides to take action. Some of the same people that he was protecting are then going to call into question how he did it. Well, surprise, surprise. I think that's a line from a movie or something like that. It's not enough. That wasn't enough that people are going to, now he's got a reputation, he's got to deal with the fallout from all this. That's not enough. The authorities are going to swoop in and charge him with a serious crime. I wonder if Daniel Penny would have wished that he had just taken an Uber at this point. Daniel Penny's a former infantry squad leader. I cannot begin to tell you the gravity, the responsibility that that position carries, the responsibility for men's lives. Now he has been indicted on charges of second-degree manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide. He had to post $100,000 bail, come up with the money for that, however he did that. Now he's facing 19 years in jail if he's convicted. And of course I'm going to ask him that question, why are we treating our veterans like this? I don't know, if he had been an off-duty cop, does anybody know what the legal uh, ramifications would have been in this situation? I don't know. Maybe the same? There's another argument that's put out publicly, and that's that Penny should not have engaged the man at all. Really? You know, I, 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 this is the part that where it crosses a new Rubicon for me. I'm sorry about the mentally ill man that was smacking people on the back of the head. What about Daniel Penny's own mental health? Is is it fair to say that this guy comes out of the Marine Corps and maybe he's going to get a little upset with some schmuck acting like a fool around him? Where's his rights in all this? Why do we always put so much weight on the victim? What was Penny's crime? What, did he won the fight? I'll say this. Myself, I was a bit critical of Daniel Penny's action from a, a legal perspective. It is important that you understand the the laws of where you're located. In this case, New York City is not a good circumstance. I said when I watched the video, do you realize if Daniel Penny would have simply rolled over to conceal the man from the cameras, it's likely he never would have been charged? This is how you have to think now. And what what am I saying to you? We're not going to stop acting. You can put these new rules, these new conditions. It will change nothing except we'll act a little bit differently, such as rolling over to conceal it from the camera. Another big mistake that Penny made was that he cooperated with the police. I can't believe I have to sit here and say this. We love the police. We support the police. If you you develop a problem and the police are coming to question you, my advice is to keep your mouth shut. But in this case, it wasn't the police who gave Daniel Penny a hard time. They let him go. But guess what? After the district attorney obtained the video, 
Well, suddenly all those things that Daniel Penny said became evidence. I've said it a million times. If you become involved in any kind of an incident that results in the death or, or serious injury of somebody else or even property damage, you better get a lawyer before you talk to the police. I bring this up for a different conversation as well. The basic question in all this is not about the Marine Corps, is not about Daniel Penny, even though that has something to do with the story. The basic question in all this is, do we have a right to defend ourselves? Do we have a right to protect ourselves? It's a basic question that we should all be asking. I'm coming up against another break here. We're going to take a little break, and I'll be back. And we're going to continue this story about Daniel Penny. Too many times now we see that where there's innocent people uh, guilty of trying to protect themselves or others, and they end up charged with a crime. This is not a just legal system. These are not fair laws. And this is not consistent with the Constitution that we swore an oath to defend. I've been making this argument for many years about the Second Amendment. We do not need any new gun laws. I'll be back in a few minutes. ever been in combat or combat simulation or training, you know that combat is chaos. And the best way through chaos is tenacity. I want to talk about my book, my new book, Victory Over Chaos. It talks about hard work. And you know, it's a struggle for sure. Telling these stories and sharing the perspective of people who have been in combat or trained for combat, it's more important now than ever. It's an important legacy that defines who we are and a perspective that shouldn't be forgotten. People need to hear what our veterans have to say. It's also important that our stories are shared for future generations, that they remember that America has always been about the underdog, fighting back against the odds, overcoming enormous hurdles, having faith that no matter what, good always prevails, and that with hard work and determination, anything is achievable. It's also important to remember that these opportunities that we have came at a steep price, a very, very heavy price. 1.3 million veterans have died in combat, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines that gave everything they had for their country. They paid the ultimate sacrifice for sure. But every veteran sacrifices something. They take low pay, bad food, worn out knees are usually the basic list. But then there's those that suffer for a long time, wounds that never heal. Every one of us that served has something in common. Every soldier, every sailor, every airman, and every Marine, it's one thing that ties us together. We all take the same oath, the oath to defend the Constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic. It's an oath that comes with no instructions and also comes with no expiration. Our military has a long, proud history demanding the best of young men and women, and generation after generation, some of our best have been stepping up and giving their best. We should hold ourselves to a higher standard. Our service reflects that. Stay tuned. You won't be disappointed. If you like what you hear, please visit projectchaos.org. That's projectchaos.org. There you can catch up on all the episodes of the radio show, as well as the information about my new book, Victory Over Chaos. Be sure to sign up for my email list so you never miss an update, and you can do that at projectchaos.org. That's projectchaos.org.
we are, January 29th, the 33, 33rd anniversary of the Battle of Kopchi. What a day. The, uh, the message came through on my birthday that we're going to have the radio show, the opening debut on my brother's birthday. He's here with me today. He's the one that told me to write the book. He saw me tell the story, said, you got to write it down. And then we come in and start the show on his birthday. Amazing, really. And now here we are for show number three on the anniversary of Kopchi. I really can't believe it. I think it's a really good sign. I really do. I think it's good for us. Great momentum. I was talking about Daniel Penny. You might know, was a young Marine who uh, was arrested for killing a man on a subway in New York City. Daniel Penny's claiming self-defense. These two were on the subway. They didn't know each other. Guy starts acting up. He starts striking people. He's yelling at people. He's acting strangely. Daniel Penny intervenes, puts the guy in a chokehold, ends up killing him. The whole thing gets caught on camera. The police were not going to charge him initially, but then the DA got involved, and they did charge him. Now he's sitting with a $100,000 bail bond, facing 19 years in jail if he's convicted. Horrible way that we treat our veterans. We're going to somehow say that uh, Daniel Penny, the, the corporal, the infantry squad leader, has no mental health issues, that he's just supposed to sit there completely stoic while some rimrod bounces up and down the train smacking people on the back of the head. I'll say this to you. If you're going to run around on the train and smack people on the back of the head, you may want to ask if there's any Marine veterans on the train first. That's all I'm suggesting. Just an idea. Not that that's ever going to happen. What I want to know is, how is it that for 250 years, we've had good men standing up to defend this country, and now this guy's going to get treated like this for doing what? Continuing to defend other people. Why would we accept that? Why would we accept this attack on our basic rights? People say, everybody, I see the people on the TV, they say, well, I don't think it was necessary that he do that. Well, no kidding. No kidding it wasn't necessary. Maybe the guy shouldn't have started the trouble in the first place. Maybe it's a message that we need to send. I don't know. Maybe we missed something. When I grew up, if you hit somebody, you could be expected to get hit back. Suddenly, people want to change the rules. Here's the problem with that. We didn't agree to the change of the rules. We swore an oath to defend the Constitution. And what we're talking about right now is the Second Amendment. And people say, what do you mean? Daniel Penny didn't have a firearm. That's what the Second Amendment is about. We don't need any new gun laws. We don't want any new gun laws. As a matter of fact, we need to fully restore the Second Amendment. Fully restore the Second Amendment. You can call me a radical. You can call me a fire eater. You can call me crazy. But the text in the Constitution is plain and simple, where it says simply, shall not be infringed. But despite that clarity, despite that specificity, You get otherwise intelligent people try to tell you that it's not that absolute. Best I can tell that the people who say that, by the way, never really shoot very well. Maybe there's something to that. Well, I do believe that the words shall not are very clearly absolute, which brings us up to an interesting point. Who stands up to this tyranny? There was a speech by a a sheriff out in New Mexico or Arizona I know he had made its rounds on social media. I was trying to get the clip here to play for the audio. It was really magnificent. But he got up in front of this group. It looked like a local town hall or something. He was this local yokel sheriff kind of guy. Good-looking guy, you know, physical presence, well-spoken, local sheriff guy. 
He got up there very dignified fashion and he spoke. And you know what he spoke about? Lo and behold, he spoke about his oath and what it means and how clear it is. It shall not be infringed. He got up, he just said it so matter-of-factly. He said, it's not complicated. It really just means what it says. Now, here's the thing. You know, we don't need to do a thing, none of us. You don't have to vote. You don't have to give it a second thought. You don't have to care about Daniel Penny. You don't have to care about any of it. But guess what? The same goes for us veterans. We took this oath, but we have no legal obligation to the country to do anything at this point. But then again, we're on the risk of ending up like Daniel Perry if we do. Is that how you really want to live? Be on a train or somebody beating on people that you can't, can't defend yourself? Does that sound like a place that anybody wants to live? You can experience it. Do you know that? Down in Mexico, I've been reading about it. Other places as well. Heinous crimes being committed all the time. I was reading down in Mexico that they had these drug cartel gangs running through and, and just doing horrific things to people. They don't even have weapons to, to, um, to defend themselves. Fact of the matter is that there is no better deterrence than open carry. Not only is a well-armed population a deterrent against crime, but it's also a deterrent against tyrants. People say guns are a danger. Well, doggone, truth be told, they sure are. Guns are a little dangerous, that's a fact. And that's kind of the point. Other things are dangerous too, like being stupid. Being stupid is particularly dangerous. And you know what else is being stupid? Being unarmed. I'm not joking around about that. We'll pick this up a little bit more. we got to take another break, and I'll tell you more about it. If this isn't hanging on Daniel Penny or the Second Amendment or gun control, I've been saying this for a long time that you watch what's going on. It'll be Daniel Penny today. It'll be you tomorrow. What? What do you mean, Chris? I would never get It's never going to be you. What was it? Just a couple of weeks ago, I talked about this. The father sitting at Grand Central Station, his daughter is attacked. He said, what do I do? What do I do? Daniel Penny knew what to do. He didn't stop. He didn't hesitate. I'll be back in just a minute. If you ever heard the name Jack Carr before, if you haven't, he's a Navy SEAL and is now a New York Times best-selling author. How many times have you ever heard that SEAL become best-selling author? Well, I read one of his books, and guess what? It is absolutely amazing. He uses experience as a SEAL to write some incredible fictional novels, and he's a real expert at telling these tales in a very engaging way. I'm not usually a fiction reader, but the work is absolutely amazing. Better than Stephen King, in my opinion. I found Stephen Carr, and I read his book after I wrote my newest book, Victory Over Chaos, The U.S. Marines' Battle for Kafchi. And I was amazed at how similar our work reads. I've also written a few other books. This will be my fourth, but I'm no New York Times bestselling author, that's for sure. It was very exciting for me. To get a sense that this book could be in the same caliber. Victory Over Chaos tells the true story of the Iraqi attack on Kafchi and their attempts to score some easy American kills by attacking the soft Arab coalition. Well, it turns out the Iraqis were right. 
Saudi army, they turned and ran, leaving us on our own. But what the Iraqis underestimated was the willingness of the Marines to fight back. We recently learned from a guest on the show that the fighting at Kafji was never approved by the Saudi government. It speaks even further about the Marines' commitment that we would never turn our backs on each other. It's an incredible story, a true story, and you can check it out at projectchaos.org. It's my fourth book and far and away the best one. I hope you'll check it out, projectchaos.org. the Second Amendment fully. I'm not joking about that. I'm not joking around about it one bit. People want to sit back and say, ah, the Second Amendment's not that important. Nothing's absolute. Well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> you know, if, if you sit a couple hundred yards out from a sniper, you're armed, they're armed, I'm going to say you're going to think about that a little bit differently. Or you could go have a conversation with Daniel Penny about all that. I'm going to tell you there's still a good number of people who are not willing to sit back and take whatever it is that other people or the government or whatever are willing to dole out on them. Personally, I think we got to encourage the kind of thinking, the kind of thinking like Daniel Perry for people to take action more often, especially in this day and age. It's a compassionate. You see videos out there with women and uh, elderly women being beat, viciously knocked out. We need people to stand up and fight back against that in this day and age. I remember six years ago, I was discussing a story. All the way back in the early days of my podcast, I remember doing this show. A young black uh, man down in uh, Norwood, Delaware County. Is it Norwood or Morewood? It's Norwood. 19-year-old black man charged with similar crimes as Daniel Penny, although there was a few differences. Young black man was armed. Well, lucky for him, because he was attacked by five other young males carrying pistols and baseball bats. Some kind of love triangle situation. I guess he got the girl. Well, when they attacked, five of them on him. Guess what? He shot in self-defense, killed three or four of the attackers, never took a hit himself. Everything should be good, right? Clean kill. Nope. District attorney comes in and charges this young man. You want to know why? You want to know why it says shall not be infringed? The district attorney charged him saying they could not possibly justify firing that many rounds in self-defense. Remember that part I said earlier about not being infringed? This would be an important time to consider that. Fired too many rounds. Couldn't be self-defense. I was talking about Jack Carr earlier. Remember something I learned in his book? You know what SEAL Team 6 trains, how they train? Shoot till the subject is down. Maybe he should go talk to that district attorney. But that's why I argue that the heart of the Second Amendment has nothing to do with with weapons or firearms. It has to do with the right to protect yourself. Shall not be infringed. There is nothing in the Constitution that we can enjoy if we have to live in fear. Think about that. There is no way morally or practically, that it makes sense to surrender all of our security to the police and the government. The, the, re, the main result of gun confiscation is an increase in knife attacks, which are even more gruesome. Every day, it seems, there's a new fight about the Second Amendment. Here in Pennsylvania, an appeals court recently ruled 
that the state, thankfully, could not bar young adults from carrying weapons. It's pretty clear where it says, shall not be infringed, but it is infringed every day. Every day we have good veterans sitting in jail for violations of unlawful laws. The biggest story on this issue right now is a recent revelation of the federal government effort to censor financial transactions of people who shopped for certain things in certain places. Whether a certain person shopped at Dick's Sporting Goods or grab a gun or a whole list of others that the federal government doesn't like, and they asked banks to collect data and silence those people. That somehow the mere act of making a purchase on grab a gun makes a person a radical extremist or a threat to democracy or a security threat or a fire eater, I suppose. I ask, what is the government planning that they're so threatened by these people? Nearly everybody I know agrees it is more important now than ever to have well-operating firearms as well as a stock of ammunition. And it makes every practical sense right now. Even survivalists are teaching that. Think about Daniel Penny. There's a guy who would act in service to others and look at the price that he's paying for that. I had a whole other segment that I wanted to get to today that we're not going to get to, which is just fine. And I'll tell you what it's about because we'll get to it hopefully in a future segment. And there's a great follow-up here to some of the issues with the um, gas attacks that happen in the Gulf War, uh, as well as the issue of the vaccines and the impact on the military. And we'll talk about that. Many veterans uh, have been fighting back and speaking up on that. And guess what? They're being silenced as well. So we'll talk about all that. They're bringing the fight. But I'm going to switch gears right now as we wrap this up. And I wanted to tell a little story here. Caught my eye. Out of Leatherneck Magazine. This is a great story. I'll just tell it. I was going to read this for you, but I'm not a good reader. I'd rather just tell the story. Young Marine. I guess I should get his name at least. General Eric Smith promoted Sergeant Peyton Knott. Well, he promoted Corporal Knott to Sergeant is the story. So this, this young Marine goes out and he gives this impressive talk, peps up the unit. And he was going to get an award for some of his work out there. Now, the, the general came down to see all this, which is, which is a big deal. General comes down, he's so impressed. He's about to give this uh, young Marine, I don't know, a Navy Achievement Medal or something like that. These are kind of administrative medals, not to take anything away from it. I have some of those myself. And uh, anyway, he sees this young Marine speak, and the general is so impressed, he promotes him on the spot. I can assure you, nothing like that ever happened to me. <laughs> Maybe just the opposite. I think I might have lost the stripe on the spot. <laughs> I can either confirm or deny that. It's been a long time. Anyway, this young Marine gets promoted. Why do I bring all this up? The young Marine was a motor T. Motor transport was his job. And in this story, he was acting as an infantry squad leader, just like Daniel Penny. And my point about that is this guy's, I don't know, he was, this guy's with some kind of a uh, support unit. Not with a combat unit. It was some kind of logistical support unit. So he's driving a truck. He's delivering things. Not much different than the, the civilian world. And uh, in the end, he gets this big award. Same job as me. I am out of time. I can't believe I let myself run out. Thank you to ST Engineering, my first job out of the Marine Corps, working for Stout Tech and Elias and Associates. I appreciate the support. 
Don't forget to visit projectchaos.org. We'll come back next week. I'll tell you a little bit more about the Motor T Marine and some stories from 33 years ago. We got a big show next week. Lots of important things to discuss, and I can't wait to see you back. Don't forget to visit projectchaos.org. Thank you to Beasley Media and our sound producers here. We appreciate it. See you next week. Make it a great day.